Welcome to The Sit Down, a crime history podcast presented by Barstool Sports. Here's your host, Jeff Nadu. What's up, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of The Sit Down, a crime history podcast presented by Barstool Sports. I am your host, Jeff Nadu. If you're joining the show on YouTube, make sure you hit the like button and let me know what you think of the discussion. And comment section below. And if you're new around here to the YouTube channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you never miss another sit-down video. If you're checking us out through audio on iTunes, Spotify, Google Pods, or wherever you get your podcasts, welcome in. Make sure you leave us a five-star review and let us know what you think of the content in the review section today. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another week, another sit-down. Uh, and we've got a great show planned for you today. I have been asked a lot and you know, I have to admit, in the time that I've studied organized crime, uh, whether it's the mafia, cartels, um, prison life, whatever I look into, um, one of the groups that I've always been very fascinated by is the Aryan Brotherhood. Now, in this show, I'm going to detail the Aryan Brotherhood at length. It's important to understand that the Aryan Brotherhood um, has multiple levels, right? There's the Aryan Brotherhood that was created originally in California. And that would spawn other groups, one of which we're mostly going to focus on today, the Aryan Brotherhood in the federal prison system. Now, all of the Aryan Brotherhood groups, whether it's the AB of California, the AB of Texas, the AB of the federal system, it all spawned from back in the 60s of the original Aryan Brotherhood, which started in California. I'm going to get a little bit into the history of the AB. I'm going to put away a myth that the Aryan Brotherhood is a neo-Nazi organization. It is not. And we're going to get into the proof behind that today. And we're also going to talk about probably one of the most dangerous inmates in the federal prison system, the story of Barry Mills. Next on the sit down, Barry Mills was born on August 25th or 26th, 1948 in the state of Oregon. Now, Notice in most of the videos and in the content I do, I have the exact birth date. According to a federal indictment, it would state that Barry Mills was born near the end of August in 1948, somewhere in Oregon. It's unclear where in Oregon. During his childhood, his family would move to California and Barry Mills would grow up in a small town called Windsor, about 65 miles north of San Francisco. Now for Barry Mills, um, quickly he, by his teenage years and by his late teenage years, he wasn't one for school, got quickly involved in the criminal life. Barry Mills, I think really felt from the beginning, he wasn't like many other people. Um, and he had a penchant for violence. By the age of 19 in 1967, Barry Mills would be arrested for stealing a vehicle in the area of Ventura in California, not far from Windsor. Now, he would be remanded to something called an honor farm. Now, an honor farm essentially was a prison camp, uh, most notably for younger individuals. And the goal of any prison system, whether it's state prison or wherever, is to rehabilitate people. Now, Barry Mills quickly, I believe in his head, realized he probably wasn't fit uh, to live on the outside. And I think quickly he realized that prison life was probably better suited for him. And that's just He's one of the few people where he just feels better inside prison. And we'll get into kind of how long Barry Mills spent in prison. 
it's important to understand that when Barry Mills was arrested in 1967, he would essentially, until his death in the late 2010s, spend the entire rest of his life in prison from essentially 19 years on, 19 years old on. He had a small time, which we'll get into, where he was on the street, but he spent a large part of his life in the prison system. Uh, Barry Mills, during his time at this honor farm, would actually uh, escape. Uh, And weeks later, he'd be back on the street and back involved with crime. He would decide that, um, you know, he wanted to make more money. So he decided him and a friend to rob a 7-Eleven convenience store. Now, interestingly enough, not hours later, uh, Barry Mills and his cohort were arrested. Now, they were um, found with about $800 in cash on them, of which they stole from the 7-Eleven. Now, Barry Mills realized very quickly his disdain for informants as well. Barry Mills' cohort would actually give him up in the robbery. Now, during this little stunt, Barry Mills would ultimately get five years in state prison. He would head off to the notorious California state prison at San Quentin. Now, if you're aware of what and all about what San Quentin is, it is one of the most notorious prisons in America. Now, something that most people don't know is the difference between the prison systems. And I know that some of what I'm about to tell some of you is already known. But remember, we have people that watch these shows that don't understand the prison system. There are three levels of prison in America, county, state, and federal. There are certain groups of crimes that are in the federal system, state system, local system. Generally, if you're in a county system, you're awaiting transition to a state prison system. You're generally in a county prison until your trial. Once you're found guilty, if you're found guilty in a state court, you're sent to a state prison. Obviously, San Quentin is a California state prison. Now, if you're involved in a federal crime, i.e., let's say bank robbery, wire fraud, um, organized crime, Um, passing things through state lines on a federal level. There are different crimes that are cohorted into other things. Now, for Barry Mills, a robbery of a convenience store is a state crime. It is never going to be a federal crime. So Barry Mills goes to state uh, prison at San Quentin. Um, Now, I want to kind of divulge in a little bit to what the Aryan Brotherhood is at this point. When Barry Mills goes to prison in the late 60s, he goes to San Quentin and the Aryan Brotherhood had already been uh, actually created. The Aryan Brotherhood was actually said to be founded um, in the mid 1960s at San Quentin. And the goal really at that point in creating the Aryan Brotherhood um, was to protect white inmates from other minority Groups, including the Black Gorilla family, uh, the Mexican Mafia, and the Waistra Familia, different uh, minority gangs. So it was essentially, as we know in prison, race is very important. And it's really the weave of which the prison uh, groupings work, especially at the high level state prison systems, the, the federal systems. Race is almost according to every prison system you go into. It doesn't matter what level, federal prison, state prison, generally race wins out, particularly in the California groups and places like that. So the white inmates, the woods, as they call them, needed a protection system, right? Just like any other, you know, crime group or or, or ethnic group, right? The mafia was created years ago to protect, um, you know, people that lived in small towns against 
the police and things like that. Now, for Barry Mills, he quickly kind of hung right in with the group that had been created. And as I said, the AB by this point had been created by essentially a guy called George Harp and a couple other people. Barry Mills kind of slotted right in and you know, he began kind of putting in work. Now, at this point, again, the AB was not a criminal organization per se. It was really just a brotherhood of of men that were white that protected themselves against black and Hispanic gangs. Now, down the road, Barry Mills would take it into the federal system and create a criminal group, organized crime that was dealing in drugs, extortion, loan sharking, prostitution, stolen goods, uh, stores, uh, and murder. So it became a criminal organization as opposed to just a protection racket, really. Now, Barry Mills um, would actually get out of prison uh, towards uh, the late 70s, early 80s. Now, his time out of prison wouldn't last long. During his time at San Quentin, he commandeered a bank robbery group. And the goal was, look, once you become part of the AB, once you leave prison, you don't just get out of the AB. You're always a part of the AB and you have to go out on the street and earn, right? Eventually, they start making money for the organization and you don't just leave. By this point, in a quick years or two of succession, you start making money for the group and you are involved. It's like being the mafia. You're involved. When you leave the prison, you don't just leave the gang. You go out on the street and earn. So Barry Mills comes up with these elaborate schemes to rob a bank. Ultimately, a bank in Fresno, California is robbed. Um, the group makes off with about $20,000 in cash. Now, uh, Barry Mills not only was coercing, but he was also uh, conspiring to commit these bank robberies. So uh, quickly, Barry Mills is on the street for several months, not very long. Gets caught in a federal um, bank robbery case, gets 20 years in prison. So he transfers himself through crime from the state prison system. And due to the fact that he was involved in a bank robbery, he is sent to Lompoc, a federal prison in California, not far from his um, area where he grew up. And this is where Barry Mills would stay, federal prison. And this is where the AB becomes a gigantic organization in the federal system. Now, it's important to understand the distinguishments of these two groups. The AB in California is its own group. The AB in Texas is his own group. The AB that would ultimately become the federal system is its own group. Now, the AB nationally, as far as the state system, Texas, California, has thousands of members. Now, the AB, when it would be essentially created and ultimately blown up the way it was under Barry Mills, it only had several hundred members. That's the difference between the AB and the federal system between the other ones. The AB in the federal system was handpicked. Okay, men were picked by their abilities. Several people were put up as the generals or the commissioners of those prisons. And I'm going to get into some of them. So Barry Mills uh, ultimately goes to the AB of, of California. Once he gets into the federal system, he would spend some time at Lompoc. He went up to um, a prison in Washington, but he was ultimately too hard to deal with. So they sent him to USP Atlanta, which was a notorious prison. By this point, um, he kind of goes to the AB of California and says, hey, look, we're going to create this in a federal system as well. Um, and look, as we know with the federal state prison system, it's a Darwinian existence, right? It's, you know, pray or get prayed on, right? You know, or pray upon someone. Barry Mills and the Aryan Brotherhood knew that they had to continue to protect themselves 
and protect their organization uh, from blacks, Spanish gangs in the federal system as well. This just didn't stop when you go to the feds. The whole notion that the feds is some country club atmosphere is fucking nonsense. It's not true, and it shouldn't be put out there. The federal prison system is very ruthless. Okay, and there are five levels of federal prisons. The prison that Barry Mills would go to was USP Atlanta, one of the most dangerous prisons in the country at the time in the early 80s. Now, the AB had already had a bit of a tentacle in the prison system. Barry Mills and the feds really just strengthened it and transformed it. They would ultimately uh, create that system. Now, one of the individuals that was in USP Atlanta and ultimately would go to USP Marion uh, was Thomas Terrible Tom Silverstein. Now, Silverstein is someone that becomes a very high-ranking member of the Aryan Brotherhood. And what the Aryan Brotherhood does is ultimately they start handpicking people. They slowly set the ideals of what the Aryan Brotherhood in the federal system is, and they slowly start building an empire. They would create a commission, if you will, at the top of the AB. At the top of the AB was Barry Mills. Now, for Barry Mills, upon his uh, arrival at USP Atlanta, the words were already getting out that people were starting to fuck the AB and were trying to screw with the AB. Now, the AB was very involved with drug trafficking, heroin, um, all sorts of prison activities. Barry Mills is given word uh, from Tom Silverstein, who was at another prison at the time. He's at USP Marion. Um, he is given word, Barry Mills, that an individual at USP Atlanta called John Marsloff is fucking with the AB. Um, he's selling drugs and not giving back his purported amounts. He's screwing people out of drug deals. Uh, so Tom Silverstein essentially contacts Barry Mills for the green light. Um, and he instructs, hey, can you get to this guy and get rid of him for me? Um, now, an eyewitness, another AB member called Danny Holiday, would tell uh, courts down the road that he and Mr. Mills were allegedly trying to rob Marsloff and that Danny Holiday had no idea that he was going to be killed. He watched uh, Barry Mills viciously decapitate, essentially, Mr. Marsloff. Now, Marsloff would be stabbed 16 times. It was near decapitation. That's the kind of ruthlessness that Barry Mills supposedly gave to uh, Mr. Marsloff on the guise of taking care of something for Tom Silverstein. Now, Mills, we brought up on this case. Now, remember, Mills had a release date at this point in the early 80s. He only had 20 years. Mills made it a point to realize he never was going to get out of federal prison again. And as people in the federal prison system at Barry Mills level realized, this is their life now. And he was going to get a death sentence or, or a life in prison. It was only a matter of time. It didn't take long. Barry Mills would defend himself in court and would not say that he wasn't part of the AB, but he would also say that the AB was, quote, not active. Ultimately, for Barry Mills, it was a pretty shut and closed case. They had a witness, um, and Mills didn't even really try to say he didn't do it. Uh, Mills would ultimately get life in prison. But this isn't the end of Barry Mills. This is really only the beginning, and that's what I'm trying to echo to all of you. People like Barry Mills were not fit to live on the outside, and Mills knew that quickly. The brotherhood of prison that he had inside was all that he ever wanted, and that's all that was ever going to be of his life. Why he became that person, we don't know. 
as you noticed in the first five minutes of this show, there's not a lot known about Barry Mills' early life. In fact, as I said, the federal government really didn't even have a birth date for Barry Mills. It's not like he was going to tell the federal government where he was from and he probably had other identities and things like that. So it, it was very difficult to know anything as to why Barry Mills became this person. He quickly, though, realized that being institutionalized was part of his life, and that's what he was going to ultimately be. By getting this life sentence, this would essentially create um, probably the most dangerous prison group in the history of the federal prison system. As I said, Barry Mills and other high-ranking members, including Tyler Bingham, uh, up on the top right, they would create a high-ranking commission of sorts. Now, the commission oversaw the disputes, they issued orders, um, and the only the commission, as far as Barry Mills and people like T.D. Bingham, could give a green light to a murder. So we start to see, they go from being this loose prison protection group to, you know, kind of a high-ranking organizational crime group, right? So they go from being like a, you know, a, when Al Capone had the outfit to like an organized group under Paul Rica and Tony Accardo, there's a, a structure, there are rules, there are yeses and nos and things you can't do. There are the ways you are a idyllic member of the group. Um, there are, you know, you got to get the, the, the order from the, the shot caller or the, the general. And what also Barry Mills and T.D. Bingham do is they assert five people at different systems uh, to protect those systems. So, for instance, at USP Marion, there was someone that ran that prison for the AB. And in this case, it was Tom Silverstein. At USP Atlanta, they had their own guy. Lewisburg, they had their own guy. And then at uh, USP Leavenworth, they had their own guy. So the AB and Barry Mills assign the general at each system. And that general runs that system. Now, the general is almost like a capo, if you will, in mob terms. He looks up to the boss and reports to the boss, the underboss, which is Bingham or Mills or the other two individuals. So all these people are high ranking, whether it's Tom Silverstein, Barry Mills, T.D. Bingham, uh, the guy to the bottom left, Christopher Overton, um, Edgar Holty, uh, the bottom right corner. All these people are high rankings, right? And we'll get into some other names as well. So the Aryan Brotherhood is created. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the thought that the Aryan Brotherhood is a white supremacist or neo-Nazi organization. I have heard and talked to multiple people that are experts on the Aryan Brotherhood. And history would actually provide itself as well that in the federal prison system, the Aryan Brotherhood wasn't exactly a white supremacist group. In fact, certain members were actually Jewish, right? And they actually did plenty of business with other crime groups. We would figure out that the Aryan Brotherhood went from being, like I said, a protection racket to essentially a mafia. They were selling drugs. In fact, they were putting a lot of heroin into the prison system. A lot of people called them the heroin brotherhood because they were moving heroin through other race, racial groups, whether it's the DC blacks or the black gorilla family or the Mexican mafia, they all did business together, right? They were all making money. Now the Aryan brotherhood also was involved with extorting other inmates, protection rackets. You were paying them to protect you. 
prostitution. We have to understand that in the federal prison system, prostitution is big crimes as well. And you're probably thinking, there's no women. What do you mean prostitution? Well, there are do boys, right? There are prison bitch, if you will. Inmates that are not gay, but they will be gay to be protected. And you can pimp them out in the prison system. Multiple people are doing that. In fact, there's an interview with a guy called Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson was a member of the Aryan Brotherhood and is now on the street. He did an interview recently with Vlad TV, and he talked about that. Um, that was a very big moneymaker in the federal prison system. Throw in the fact that they're making money through drugs and things like that. But I almost relate the racial thing to the film American History X. If you've ever seen that movie, one of the reasons Derek Vineyard, the main character, Edward Norton's character, one of the reasons he gets assaulted and raped in prison is because he's fucking with the Aryan Brotherhood's business. He goes to the AB and says, wait a second, I thought you were you hated blacks. Because on the street, he realized that his group, they were neo-Nazi. The Aryan Brotherhood in prison were not neo-Nazis. They were doing business with, with Mexicans and blacks. And Vineyard thinks, what the fuck is this all about? And he starts putting a wrench into what they're doing. They get tired of it and they have him assaulted. He was a, he was on his own island. And that kind of shows us that the Aryan Brotherhood was not, not a racist organization. They're not a neo-Nazi group. Now I will say this, and this is important. I'm not saying that no one in the Aryan Brotherhood was racist. In fact, if you look into the AB of Texas, most of them have Nazi tattoos. They are, they're, they're, probably don't like other races but people like barry mills i don't know that there was any actual proof that he was a racist uh, in fact they had no problem doing business in prison we have to look at the rules that we have on the street here they're way different than inside okay inside race is everything and it's part of life it's not what we agree on on the street obviously you know we can all go into the same places and eat it, it, it's all fine in prison is different it's a different world. And that's what I'm trying to explain in this show. You hear Aryan, you hear Aryan Brotherhood, right? It, it's more or less whites protecting each other. Blacks, it, it, every, no one hates each other. Occasionally they get into spats and we're going to talk about that. But it is not a neo-Nazi organization. Again, I'm not saying there's not certain members that weren't racist, but it's not looked upon as that. Notice in this tattoo, this is the tattoo generally that ABs would have. Um, they would have the shamrock with the 666 in it. Um, and in fact, that same guy, Michael Thompson, who I talked about, said that he didn't know of anybody that had a Nazi regalia on them. Um, now, there are other groups that are, like I said, racially backed, but um, it's different than a neo-Nazi group on the street, something like that. Uh, for Barry Mills, um, he becomes the guy. And as I said, they make this group from being a just a, a group that protects people. Now they're starting to move more. Now, the murders would continue, and they would come in fast and furious. By 1983, as I said, Barry Mills is the individual that is giving the green light on murders. Ultimately, in 83, an inmate comes to uh, Barry Mills, an inmate called um, Barry Puppet McKinney. Now, Mr. McKinney is a AB member, okay? Now, Puppet McKinney has an issue with another inmate, Gregory Kiefer. Now, Gregory Kiefer is doing a lot of things. He's acting stupid. Um, he's 
uh, saying he's a member of the AB when he's not a member of the AB. He's uh, just doing things that are that are that are annoying. And Papa McKinney hated Gregory Kiefer, so he goes to Mills, asks him for the green light on a prison yard. They're all at uh, at um, Atlanta. Papa McKinney um, and other inmates, um, you know, essentially, um, you know, coerce Kiefer into a cell to which McKinney comes in and stabs him multiple times. Now, a day later, September 24th, 1983, Puppet McKinney tells Barry Mills, we got it done, everything's good. Now, interestingly enough, about nine years later in 1992, Puppet McKinney, who was a member of the AB, was also clubbed to death in a prison yard. The reason Puppet McKinney was killed, and this was another murder that we placed under the tutelage of Barry Mills, um, Papa McKinney, by this point, was openly engaging in uh, homosexual behavior. His behavior was out of control. He was acting stupid. Uh, and Barry Mills greenlit him. So, again, this is something where years before, McKinney's committing murders for the AB. Down the road, McKinney's killed for his behavior. And this is all being done by people like Barry Mills. They are doing whatever's necessary to take care of people. In fact, there was a quote at one point where a member mentioned that um, Jesus Christ and his 12 disciples could try to prevent us from killing someone. If we needed to kill someone, that's that. That was going to happen. And the, the, the prison systems are starting to understand, like, how are these murders happening? These people are in, you know, uh, segregation. How are they making these uh, murders happen? Um, but murders are starting to pile up and pile up and pile up. And we would find out that the AB only has several hundred members in the federal system, yet they're responsible for 20% of the murders going on. Yet the AB is still not on the purview of the federal government by this point. That wouldn't happen until 1993. We revert back to our old friend, Thomas Silverstein, who is the uh, AB chief at Marion. Now, Marion by this point is one of the most dangerous federal prisons in the state of Illinois and in the country. From what I understand during this time, Mr. Silverstein is being hassled by guards. And from what other inmates have said, this is USP Marion. Okay. The guards aren't exactly, you know, kind or anything, right? They do their job. They're not nice to inmates. Essentially down the road, Silverstein would say that Merle Klutz, um, who he would ultimately kill, I was hassling him. He gave him shit every day. Um, and this was a guy in Silverstein who was in a box 23 hours out of the day. He had a short fuse. Basically, he kills Merle Klutz. He's given a key to a handcuff. He wiggles out of it and kills Merle Klutz. Now, another member of the AB, a guy that was trying to prove his uh, worth and putting in work was a guy called Clayton Fountain. He was also at USP Marion. He would, eight hours later, kill another guard called Robert Hoffman. He was trying to impress Tom Silverstein. Now, Tom Silverstein uh, ultimately, as I said, claimed that the guards were hassling him. Um, Silverstein, from the day that he committed the murder in 1983, was put in the hole. He would spend time in Atlanta, uh, Lewisburg, different federal prison systems. He would actually be one of the only inmates in the history of the federal prison system to be on what was called Range 13 at the ADX in Colorado. Range 13 was essentially a prison in a prison. He would be in the hole from the mid-80s 
until his death in 2019. I will probably do a full show on Tom Silverstein. He down the road into the 2000s would write letters and um, put out uh, different editorials where he discussed his punishment, really. Um, And he would talk about the fact that, you know, he was treated like an animal. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he killed a guard and they have to pay for their crimes. And you would be right there. Um, But I will discuss some of the letters at some point that Silverstein wrote. A lot of people talk that in his later years, Silverstein was an advocate essentially for people in prison and how they were treated. We have to remember that, and I'll say this opaquely, I guess. I understand these are probably the worst people on the planet, right? As far as in this system. But some of the stuff borders on violating you know, constitutions and things like that, as far as cruel and unusual punishment. Um, And look, you kill a guard, you're going to be treated very poorly by the COs. Um, But just something to think about. And I'll talk about that in a later show. But back to uh, Barry Mills, this murder and these murders were particularly bad for the AB because the murders of Hoffman and Klutz not only were because they were COs, but they put uh, this on the purview of the FBI and the DEA and the different federal uh, law enforcement officials. So they started to kind of notice that there's this group in the federal system that is becoming a disaster. They're selling a lot of drugs. They run the prison system in the feds. Now, by the 90s, cases were continuing to start to be built, but they just kind of hit dead ends. And by the mid 90s, this is where the demise of Barry Mills starts to set itself up. So by this point, Barry Mills is the guy. He's the shot caller of the AB nationwide. His words, along with T.D. Bingham, are what prove important to an AB member. They can't kill someone without the approval. Money's being made. The systems are owned by these guys. And let's just be real. The one good thing about all this is, for the most part, riots and wars are not happening, right? Because everybody's kind of just doing business with everybody else. There are ceasefires, including the Mexican Mafia and the AB. Things are starting to kind of quell themselves. There's not issues. And that would be until in and around 1996. An inmate at USP Marion, a white inmate, is hit in the head with a pillowcase with a radio inside by a black inmate. Now, from what I've understood and understand... This was the thing that started a race war. We would find out that it were just two random guys that had a beef. This black inmate was trying to curry favor with the D.C. blacks. He was trying to get involved with the D.C. blacks. So he felt like if he assaulted a white inmate, that would get him on the purview of the D.C. blacks. This would engulf and light a fuse of a race riot. Back and forth. Uh, inmates are going after other inmates and Barry Mills has a real problem on his hands. Um, at one point there would be a prison fight at Marion involving uh, 12 uh, um, Aryan Brotherhood members were, were, were beaten. Um, and Barry Mills has a contract put out on him. Uh, him and T.D. Bingham are, are greenlit. Barry Mills would quote, declare war against the DC blacks. Now, him and T.D. Bingham would write a series of letters that were dated to a member of the Aryan Brotherhood who was at Lewisburg. He ran and called the shots at Lewisburg. A guy called Big Al Benton. Al Benton was uh, was a very um, 
distinguished individual in Lewisburg, and he ran that prison for the Brotherhood. He would be contacted by Barry Mills and T.D. Bingham. Now, interestingly enough, Mills and Bingham would write letters using code, and they would use invisible ink and urine um, to basically mask what they were saying to Big Al Benton. Now, Al Benton would receive the letter, and in the invisible ink, there was a phrase that said, war with D.C. Blacks. Al Benton took that as a call to arms. Now, Al Benton, alongside another individual, Wayne Bridgewater, uh, create two hit teams, and they begin going after uh, D.C. Blacks. And this would cause an all-out war inside Lewisburg. Now, Big Al Benton, the thing about the Brotherhood that I always want to talk about is the Brotherhood is different from other groups. Let's just say the Mafia, for say. When someone becomes a boss or underboss or even a capo, they don't really get their hands dirty again. They instruct other members to do things. So like Vinny Giganti's not going out killing people. In the Brotherhood, that was different. Everyone put work in. Didn't matter who you were. Now, upon getting the note from Mills that the war was on with DC Blacks, Big Al Benton actually commits a murder himself. He kills a shot call in DC Blacks called Abdul Salam uh, in early 1997. Now, a lot of people actually believe that the murder or the call to arms by Mills was actually not to start killing DC Blacks, but it was just to start to, you know, warn everyone that there might be a war coming. Big Al Benton takes it as we're supposed to start killing people. And many people don't actually know if it was actually a call to arms or not. But uh, ultimately for Al Benton, this weighed on his conscience. And within one day, Big Al Benton contacts federal prosecutors. He decides that this isn't what he wants out of his life. And a lot of people found it to be incredible. Think about it. This is a very high up, distinguished shot caller in the Aryan Brotherhood, one of the most powerful prison gangs in the federal system. And um, one of the prosecutors in this case would actually call it um, the same level of like a high ranking U.S. military man defecting to North Korea. It just doesn't happen. Big Al Benton down the road would be incredibly destructive to people like Barry Mills. Now, a lot of people will say, but Jeff, what about back in the early 80s? Barry Mills had a life sentence. Agreed. I get what you're saying. Barry Mills was never coming home, but the federal government wanted to disband the Aryan Brotherhood, and they wanted everyone involved even if they had life sentences. And they ultimately wanted to kill Barry Mills. The goal of the federal government was to bring enough on Barry Mills where they could not only send him the, you know, the, the hole for life, but they wanted him to get the death penalty. Again, back to Al Benton, no one knows quite why he decided to talk to the government. Um, maybe he had something that Mr. Mills and Mr. Bingham and Mr. Whoever in the Aryan Brotherhood didn't have. I've always said, whether you're a mobster, a cartel boss, a drug dealer, a member of a prison gang, a criminal, high-ranking criminal, you cannot have compassion. You cannot have a conscience. You cannot 
have any of those. Love really doesn't exist for those types of people. They are different type of people. They are depraved people. They don't think the same way you and I do. The goal is you have to be ruthless. And compassion and a conscience are the reason a lot of people cooperate. And it's one of the reasons, though maybe good, Al Benton had compassion. He did not want to do the rest of his life in prison for people like Barry Mills. And that's the same with someone like Michael Thompson, who is now out of prison. Michael Thompson had a conscience. He wasn't built maybe the same way. And it's not a bad thing. He wanted to live the rest of his life differently. The things that he had learned as a young kid in the prison systems were not the way he wanted to live his life. There were two different types of people. Big Al Benton, down the road, I said, would be incredibly destructive. And this would ultimately end and signal the finish for what the feds needed to bring charges on Barry Mills and other high-ranking members of the Aryan Brotherhood. Before we get into what would ultimately bring them down, I want to talk about a highly publicized connection to the mafia. I've done a video on my YouTube channel. It's probably the most viewed video I've ever done on the 1996 assault of Gambino boss John Gotti. Now, I want to talk a little bit about John Gotti's prison stay at Marion. As I said, Marion is one of the most secure prisons in America. Now, the problem that John Gotti Sr. had was by being sent to Marion, he was on his own. There weren't any mobsters at Marion. The government hated John Gotti. They weren't going to put him in some prison where he could hang out with all of his buddies and still you know, run the Gambino crime family. They were going to make an example out of John Gotti. John Gotti was one of the most hated people in the history of the American federal system. They wanted to put him away forever. They wanted him in 23 and a half uh, a day. So they sent him to Marion. Now, the problem that he had at Marion was there were no, there was no one there to protect him. The mob wasn't there with him. He, it wasn't like he was at Danbury hanging out with 20 or 30 mobsters and he could hold court. It wasn't like that. Now, quickly... He realizes this because he's assaulted by an inmate called Walter Johnson. Now, Walter Johnson uh, is a very violent, ruthless individual. He was like 30 years younger than Gotti. From what I understand, Gotti said something possibly racial to Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson snuck him and beat him up. Now, again, he was 30 years younger. It's not difficult to do that. And from what I understand, Mr. Johnson didn't give a fuck who John Gotti was. He wasn't like any other uh, person there. He was a possibly mental case problem who very few people could control. In fact, one prison guard would say that Walter Johnson was the most ruthless inmate he had ever come across. So it wasn't really a fair fight for Gotti. Gotti failed to identify who it was that hurt him. He just in tune goes to members of the Aryan Brotherhood, a guy called David Sikakian. Now, Sikakian was calling the shots at this point at Marion. Silverstein was long gone. Sikakian is the guy there. According to an individual, Kevin Roach, who ultimately cooperated against the AB, he would say that there was a contract out on Walter Johnson and that Sikakian was the person that put the contract out. Now, unfortunately for John Gotti, he stopped paying protection money because the AB didn't carry out the hit on Walter Johnson. Gotti finds out that Johnson's still alive, and he's wondering what the fuck's going on here. I'm not paying no more. No one ever got to Walter Johnson. He was transferred to ADX. Now, sadly, and as I discussed in the video about John Gotti's prison beating, Walter Johnson would actually uh, be 
released from prison at some point after this assault. And in the early 2000s, he would actually kill a police officer in Washington, D.C. He is doing a life sentence currently at ADX. So we have to look back on the one thing that maybe John Gotti could have gotten done. It's almost a shame that John and the AB didn't get to Walter Johnson, because if they had, we probably and would have prevented a murder of a family man who was a cop in Washington, D.C. So that could have been one good thing that the AB actually did. Um, so, again, you, you see Mills is considering himself a mob boss, really. And he was. These weren't Italians. But this was everything that the mafia was. A controlled group with people at the top that instructed people below them to do things and to do illicit activities to make money to push up top. Now, what do we know when we hear that? Rico, which is what they used against people like Gotti, they would ultimately use it against T.D. Bingham, Barry Mills, and other members of the Aryan Brotherhood. In 2002, a gigantic 140-page indictment, ranging in crimes from drug trafficking to extortion to RICO to murder, were waged against Barry Mills, T.D. Bingham, Edgar Hulte, Christopher David Overton, and other members of the AB. Everyone from uh, people that you were looked at as a jailhouse lawyers, like a person called Richard Lloyd Turflinger, uh, to even a correctional officer from the Federal Bureau of Prisons called Joseph Principe. He would be accused of arranging meetings between AB leaders. So they not only got people involved in prison, but COs, they got people on the street that were ferrying drugs into prison, women that were associated with some of these guys. This was a huge indictment. In fact, 40 people that were involved directly with the AB were pulled off of um, different prisons uh, from on the street. Because remember, you have to continue your involvement on the street. They were put on one plane and it was a huge kind of job for the marshals to get all these people in one area. This would ultimately be the case where the feds would try to bring the death penalty. In fact, 23 of the people indicted were actually eligible for the death penalty in this case, which would make it essentially the largest death penalty case in the history of the federal system. So this was what the feds realized was their probability to getting Barry Mills uh, the death penalty. They wanted him to die for his crimes. They were tired of dealing with him because you have to ask our, yourself, at what point do you just say we can't house these people? Where do we put them so they don't do what they do? Now, ultimately, the ADX would be created, but that didn't happen until the late 90s. So you didn't have an institution that was capable of helping people like this. Now, the ADX was literally built for people like Barry Mills and T.D. Bingham, individuals that were unable to be housed anywhere else. And this is why the ADX is so important. It was for built for people like this, people that have no business on the street or even in a prison system, they're that dangerous. And they would also use it for terrorists, drug cartel bosses, people like that. People that can't be housed anywhere else because they have proved time and time again that they can get through that stuff and still order hits, still order masterminding things. This is where that went to end. But the FBI wanted more. They wanted Barry Mills to die for his crimes. 
And it was interesting because some of the chief witnesses, i.e. people like Big Al Benton, Kevin Roach, they would tell tall tales of, of their experiences. Now, uh, during the court case, um, Mr. Roach uh, in 1997, uh, he said that Gotti allegedly offered to have to pay to have Johnson killed and that um, he didn't quite know how much they offered. But another member of the Aryan Brotherhood would testify that Gotti had offered $500,000 to wipe out uh, Walter Johnson. Now, Barry Mills, uh, according to Kevin Roach, said he told us that he wanted us to accept the contract and that he wanted me to send word to all the brothers because John Gotti was willing to pay a good sum, Roach testified. He wanted to show that the Aryan Brotherhood could get anyone anywhere. So the green light was given. Barry Mills essentially said, take the money and get rid of the guy. Now, I want to make this clear. This is very important. There are people, particularly from the family of John Gotti, that say that this never happened. It never was true. It never happened. Make sure you understand that in the 100-plus count indictment, count 52, count 52, conspiracy to kill Walter Johnson. This is important because, again, like I said, a lot of people don't want to admit that this actually happened. This happened, and it was brought in the conspiracy against uh, Barry Mills and all these other guys. I want to make that clear. This was something that the, the defense attorneys tried to paint as it didn't happen. This isn't true. It's true. It definitely happened. And it was included in that indictment. Keep in mind, beginning on a date unknown to the grand jury and continuing until at least September 1997, defendants Barry Byron Mills, Michael Patrick McClenney, David Michael Sahakian, and Jesse Antonio Van Metter and others conspired to murder Walter Johnson and a co-conspirator committed an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy in violation of Illinois Criminal Code Sections 8, 2, and 9, 1. Okay, that means that the federal government realized the crime happened or the conspiracy of the crime happened and they put it in the indictment. It's not hearsay. It's not made up. It happened. Why would the uh, AB try to kill him? Because John Gotti asked them to. It's pretty easy. The writing was on the wall for Barry Mills. Not only did the federal government have wiretaps, videotapes, but they also had kites, a.k.a. written letters by Mills asking people to do his bidding. He was the man instructing all these people to do it. And as we know with Rico, it all flows up top. So they're going to put all these crimes under you and you're responsible for what your criminal organization does. Now, Barry Mills, defense attorney, would try to paint the witnesses as not credible or unreliable. And that's generally what defense witnesses do, because remember in this trial, all of the witnesses in this case are AB members. These are very destructive people in their own right. And we have to ask ourselves, why is the government willing to do business with these types of people? But as John Gleason's told me and. I, when I asked him about Sammy Gravano and people like that, they're willing to do business with people to put more evil people, according to them, Barry Mills and Tyler Bingham, away. Now, ultimately, for Barry Mills and Tyler Bingham, the writing was on the wall. 
Barry Mills would be found guilty and would be sentenced to life in prison. However, uh, he was not given the death penalty. Neither was Tyler Bingham. Um, And when we look back on this sweeping indictment, here's what I'll say. I think they did a decent job with the case. And in the end, they dismantled part of the Aryan Brotherhood. But in the end, they really didn't get much out of it. Barry Mills already had life in prison. He got life in prison in the 80s. Now, this would send them to ADX, and they wouldn't be able to continue their criminal enterprise. Um, And look, certain people were taken off the streets, and things were helped. But I think a lot of this was a case where a lot of people got elected to public office through a lot of their behavior. And that's what people do. That's what people in the FBI do and people in the U.S. attorney's office do. The goal is to enhance themselves in big cases like this, you know, with a lot of juicy headlines, move the needle. In all, it's probable that the Aryan Brotherhood committed up to 50 murders all between the years of the early 80s till 2000, so 20 years or so. Now, Barry Mills, it was said that he reportedly participated or instructed in up to 20 of those murders. Um, Barry Mills would actually die on July 8th, 2018 at Admax Florence in Colorado. It's unclear what or actually how he died. It was said that he actually had some heart trouble. He was pretty old at this point, um, but he died where he should have, in a box, not fit for an animal. Tyler Bingham is still alive, and he is at Admax Florence as well. He is 75 years old. That is the fate of Tyler Bingham, and um, it's a just fate for Tyler Bingham. Um, Tyler Bingham did what he did. He did it with probably no sort of morality whatsoever. These individuals are a product of their environment. They are not like you and I. They live in a world that is different than us. They live in a dog-eat-dog world. And it's very Darwinianisms. There are a lot of Darwinianisms in this. It's a world of be prey or be the bully, right? You want to be the lion or or you be the hyena. It really depends. And in these two guys' world, they realize that they had to protect themselves and their people. Now, I want to kind of end this with a quote from Barry Mills. At one point, he would explain, quote, if you disrespect me or one of my friends, I will readily and to the very best of my ability engage you in full combat mode. That's what I'm about. There is a certain level. I'm just going to say certain level of small respect you have for Barry Mills. Okay, this is a guy who created something that became one of the most transformative prison gangs in one of the most secure prison groups in in the world, really. And he created a group that literally ran it. He had people killed. He had things done. But he is someone that believed in his friendships, and he was loyal to his friends until the end. These are very interesting people. They're psychopathic and depraved killers and do not belong on the street it's only wonder how many murders are prevented by having these people in prisons and this is why prisons are created we hear about present day 
you hear from certain members of government that say we should abolish prisons. There shouldn't be a federal prison system. All I have to do, and I, I will never get to interview someone like Rashida Talib or someone like that, but I'd ultimately love to tell them the story of Barry Mills and T.D. Bingham. We'd have to ask Miss Talib, would she like Mr. Bingham or Mr. Mills living next to her? Think about the abilities of these people. In a 23-hour lockdown, they can give a green light to have someone thousands of miles away killed. Probably not a person you want on the street. That said, we wonder. This is only something they did in prison. You have to wonder if, and I don't know what happened in Mills' life to make him the way he was, but it's a shame that he, well, it's not a shame he died, but it. I'd love to speak to someone like him. You know, how, how did you become what you became? You know, because I'm sure he's probably pretty eloquent in the way he speaks. He doesn't come across or didn't come across to me as someone that, I was a, you know, kind of a, you know, he just did what he did. And that's what he did. That's who he was. Really, to me, one of the most dangerous people in the history of the prison system in America. Now, what the uh, current Aryan Brotherhood looks like in the federal prison system, it's not as big and pronounced. It's still definitely there. And at some point, I'll probably do some shows on the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas, the Aryan Brotherhood of California. Um, they're all different organizations, um, but they're all very interesting in their own rights. So that's that, the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this is definitely a subject that I'm very interested in and enjoy looking into. I'm probably going to do more of this kind of content. I'm going to get into some of the specific murders that um, the AB greenlit and were involved in. I want to talk about some of the different vernacular as well. Um, you know, the Dubois, Peckerwoods, things like that. I want to end this show with something very important. And this is the most important. I've never been to prison. I hope to never go to prison. And the only reason I want to go to prison is to interview some of these individuals. None of what I'm saying is meant to be taken as I'm looking up to people like this. Um, I really am just telling a history. I know there are certain things that I've never been a part of. Right? People like Chad Marks who did you know, decades in federal prison, they could tell you more about these people and these kind of things. But I want you to make sure that when you look into stuff, particularly like this, you're making sure you're looking into the right sources on this stuff. Some of the things you hear about the AB are just not true. And I urge you to go to people that know this subject well, the people that, um, you know, live these lives. Um, and I hope at some point to have Michael Thompson on the show. I think it'd be fascinatingly interesting. Um, so that'll happen soon. I just wanted to make the thing. This is just a history lesson. I'm not um, someone, I've never been to prison. It's not like I have an experience with the AB. I just find them, be, them to be very interesting. And I wanted to kind of almost tell the story as well that the different things that they do and the things that they have done. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Next week, um, got a great show coming out. Um, we actually are recording it um, tomorrow. I'm recording this on uh, Monday the 6th. Uh, on Tuesday the 7th, I'm actually going to interview um, – a really interesting guy, Luis Chaparro. Um, you've probably seen him on YouTube and different places. Um, Luis is like one of our past guests, uh, Yoan Grillo, one of the foremost authorities on drug cartels in Mexico. And he right now, Luis Chaparro, is probably the most interesting of them. Um, he recently um, was in, um, 
inundated really in the inner workings of the Sinaloa cartel. He's a great journalist and we're going to hear more about his story and what he's up to. He was actually uh, in the home of Ovidio Guzman Lopez after the raid. Um, this guy is just really programmed into that group down there and, and has a lot of really interesting reporting going on. So we're going to talk to him next week. I hope you enjoyed the show this week on Barry Mills. See you next week here on The Sinaloa.